Hi, I'm Adam Summerton. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. And you heard there from Adam Summerton. And we'll be hearing from him later on about his thoughts on the season. And also all about his commentating and, and what he has to do, all the miles he travels and things like that. Joining me to discuss the goings-on in the National League is Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Hi, Luke. And as always, we've got Chris Pratt. Hello, Luke. And Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Good morning, Luke. And in the National League, the title race, Rob, it's taken another twist. Now, late in Orient, they had a late goal disallowed in injury time last week at Barnet, which denied him the three points. And on Saturday, they had another injury time goal. This time, it stood to rescue him a point against Halifax after they'd been 2-0 down, and he ended up drawing 2-2. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think uh, most pundits had awarded Orient the title uh, eight days ago, hadn't they? But they've then gone on to pick up just two points out of nine because obviously in the week they played as well at Bromley and went down to Neil Smith's side. We'll talk to Neil Smith later in the podcast. Not so much uh, last weekend, but this weekend, the other side in that title chasing pack took full advantage, maximum points for the for the three sides that, that probably have the most chance of catching. Yeah, and Salford, they, they won 2-0 at Maidstone, which all but relegates Maidstone, which we kind of knew anyway, but it was important for them to keep the pressure on. They are top by a point, and, and, and I must admit, I was feeling quietly chuffed there, because whilst it wasn't the biggest shock in the world to call Salford as the title uh, winners at the start of the season, a lot of people did say that. Within our podcast team, I was the only one that said Salford, so uh, <laughs> uh, I could be storming back into the race here, boys, but uh, it's well set. Obviously, Orient have the game in hand. Seven wins out of eight for Salford, and Adam Rooney back on the score sheet. Two goals for him. Oh, we've missed that name on the score sheet, haven't we, for quite some time, but he's back with a bang, and talk about timing it just right uh, he, he might well have done that you know and uh, you know for, for Solihull Moors they dug out a win like they've been doing all season as well and uh, and Wrexham won and they scored more than a goal boys and they didn't keep a clean sheet but well, like you say Salford have got have gone top but just in but still feels it is in their hands because they have got that game in hand but it comes back to the age old debate Rob doesn't it points on the board or games in hand yes uh, and you know where I stand on that one but what what uh, I still think rings true is the point I've made a couple of times now. Uh, most of those sides can keep the door shut at one end pretty well, but who is going to score freely in these last few weeks of the season? So uh, obviously Rooney had dried up a bit, and he also carried. He, he had an injury, didn't he? Macaulay Bond, not really. The goals are not really flying in for him at the moment. That'll be a concern for him and a concern for Orient as well. Solly Holmores and Wrexham, Wrexham, they tend to dig out the. the, the closer margin wins don't they but uh, I think it's realistic now to say that all four of them from their own point of view will look at it and think well if this and but that you know we might still have a chance Chris Dickey last week when asked about Leighton Orange chances you both gave me one word answer of yes so have you changed yeah. your mind <laughs> uh, yeah I mean quite possibly if you if you look at Leighton Orient's form guide they're down there in mid table really after after the last few games and that's not where you want to be at this time of the season I just wanted to make a point about Salford actually and it's it's something we spoke about towards the, the beginning of the season and the resource that Salford have got and the, the amount of money they've spent on players and, and wages and all that sort of thing. They've got a huge squad. And I just wonder, if you look at their form guide out of the last eight, they're unbeaten in the last eight and they've only drawn one of those. Uh, that was against Barnet, the goalless draw against Barnet. And I'm just wondering whether that, that strength in depth now is beginning to, to show at this time of the season. 
Yeah, it's an odd one. I mean, like you say, exactly a week ago, I, I thought Orient were not exactly home and hosed, but strong favourites. And the last week has just shown exactly why we love football, because it, it's unpredictable. I mean, having you know had a, had a close look at Orient over a couple of games with Telford uh, in, in the trophy, I thought that Orient looked like where they were running out results when they weren't playing very well. But uh, as, as, as often said, well, uh, if you're not playing very well but still getting results, that might change eventually. Yeah, comeback of the day as well, Rob. Is, um, it was AC Fylde and Eastley that the playoff, t- the playoff challenges, they, uh, they clashed at Mill Farm. Eastley went 2-0 up early on, that man Paul McCallum getting another goal, but Fylde roared back. It was 2-2 at half-time, and then he took control in the second half. Yeah, they really needed that game as well, Fylde, to start scoring freely again. They had the tremendous high of making the FA Trophy final, and then obviously that defeat to Orient and they'd have been disappointed with only a nil-nil at Aldershot as well. Comeback uh, on the day and the comeback for them, you know, into the promotion race. It's important, um, I think, for the league, which has been so entertaining all season, that there is still a title race and that there is still a race between teams for the playoffs because uh, as we switch our attention to the minute, it's almost almost but not quite done and dusted at the bottom end we'll, we'll look at the bottom end now Rob and all the shot it looked like they were going to get a second away win in, 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 in a couple of weeks and they, they were doing really well at Bromley weren't they and then they were pegged back in the end by uh, JJ Hooper who got another equaliser there was frustration from the Aldershot part but frustration from Bromley from a different point of view really wasn't it yeah, there was. Um, listen, I don't want to sound here and harp on and make excuses for all the shots because they've not been good enough all season. But if one game summed up a season, it was yesterday. Four minutes in, and the goalkeeper has been pretty reliable, actually, Will Mannion, on loan from Hull. He uh, went to uh, throw the ball out over him. The ball slipped from his grasp, fell straight to the feet of JJ Hooper. The last person in the Bromley team you want it to fall to. He's hot right now. And he just uh, slotted home his 13th goals over a prolific loan spell. Uh, and and, and at, towards the end of the game, a very similar thing happened. The back pass aimed for Manny and straight to Hooper and he put it straight in the net. And uh, the only two chances he had all day. Um, and he slotted them away in between times. All the shot took advantage of a little bit of sloppy defending by Bromley themselves. For Reese Grant's fifth goal in all shot shirt, his 11th of the season. And then, quite frankly... Uh, winning the Aldershot Town goal of the season competition all on its own, not amongst many, I must say. Uh, Luke Howell let fly from 25, 30 yards, as he's done a few times lately. Everything else he's done is smashed against the crossbar. This one went in off the corner of post and bar. Uh, and it was a wonderful moment, probably his best moment in an Aldershot Town shirt for Luke Howell. But sadly, 10 minutes later, he was the guilty party that passed the ball back straight to JJ Hooper. Uh, so a mixed fortunes for him, mixed fortunes for all shot. A draw, not good enough. Uh, they're all bar mathematically down now. Mason are obviously down. Braintree are down. Um, Haven't are the ones that most realistically still could catch Dover or Borumwood. And Borumwood lost late on yesterday too. Uh, for all the shot, while all they can reasonably try and do, you know, is try and overhaul Haven't. They're two points behind Haven't now. They play Haven't in a couple of weeks. And uh, as we know in this league, boys, things can happen. There's some funny goings on up the road at Gateshead and down at Ebbsfleet, isn't there? And nobody wants to miss, uh, wish misfortune on anybody. 
but uh, probably Aldershot's only realistic chance now of staying up is to catch Haven and hope for the best. It was a thoroughly entertaining game at Hayes Lane yesterday. Ultimately, four goals shared and the points shared too. And afterwards, as we always do when we visit Hayes Lane, I caught up with the Bromley manager, Neil Smith. I've been joined at a blustery Hayes Lane by Neil Smith. And you'll have to bear with us, listeners, because we've both got a bit of throat stuff going on. Neil, two crazy home games in a week for you here. Let's try and look at them all as a whole. Let's start with the, the bigger positive, a win against the title chase inside Leighton Orient. Yeah, no, that you know that, that game was immense. You know, full house. Uh, obviously, they bought in 1,500. We had the 2,000 as well, and it was, you know... It's going to be an absolute belter of a game and then to go a goal down right at the end of the, the first half was always going to be a big ask. But the boys come back and then to score in the last five minutes like we did and then, you know, just hang on in there to get that win against the, the team that are going up there as, as the champions um, was massive. And I think in the end, it's probably had an adverse effect on us because the boys put such a shift in against you know, the, the Leighton Orient, mm. but then they come in today, we score early on, I think everyone just thought that was it, we cracked it, but as, as I've said in there, you know, you're playing against the Gary Waddock team, they're and, uh, yeah, and they're fighting for their lives, and, 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 and the Aldershot players, full credit to them, put massive shift in, because they want to stay up, they want to do as much as they can to stay up, and um, you know, I just think our players probably thought it was going to be easier than what it was, and then we go 2-1 down, and I think that's when we actually livened up, and actually went out and played like we can, and probably got the equaliser and could have nicked a win. So bizarre though, your, your two goals, if you don't mind me saying, they were absolutely gift-wrapped by well, Aldershot Town. I mean, you've got to be there no, to no, finish. No, 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 and full credit to Hoover for great finishes. Yeah. It, it was great finish. You know, they were, you know, two two mistakes to be, you know, keeper goes to throw one out, mm. thinks he's going to pull it back, goes straight to his feet, he just passes it into then mm. someone passing back to the keeper and passing it straight to him. And, you know, you, you have to take those opportunities when they, when they come across. But, uh, you know, their second goal, you know, I was, I was sitting behind it and as soon as he's left his foot, you know, it was, it was a cracking, cracking, mm. cracking goal. So, you know, they are they are gifted, but I think we've we've had games where we've, we've outplayed people and we, we haven't put them away. So, you know, we, we have to take every opportunity we can and, and those two come along, but they were mad. Mm. And I've spoke to you now in each of the last three seasons, um, Neil, and it'd be interesting to see what your perspective is uh, from, from mine. Bromley look as if we're going to finish in the top 12 for the third season running. Uh, you probably swap that one, you know, for one crack at the playoffs, wouldn't you? Oh my God, yeah. You know, we were so close last year, um, and this year it's been a difficult season. And finishing the top half will be a massive achievement for a club like Bromley. Mm. You know, you look, you know, we're playing against Aldershot, who are in the playoffs. You know, in the, in, in the, the semi-finals, mm. and you're like, wow. And, and look where they are now. So we, we don't underestimate how strong this league is getting and it will we keep getting stronger and stronger. So, you know, expectation levels go up and everything else that goes with it. Obviously, making the trophy final last year, just missing out. I think mm. everyone expected it just to happen again. It's not like that. This no. division is getting stronger and stronger. So, yeah, so if, if, to end up in the top 12 for a club like Bromley is massive, absolutely massive. But we can't under, underestimate how typical this is going to be. And one other thing we can't underestimate is the impact of JJ Hooper since he's been at his club. When, when did he come? What month was he, it? He come in, he come in beginning of, uh, oh, the end of November. Mm. Um, and I had a, you know, twofold. It was like, I need, I needed someone to score goals, obviously. And that's 14 but, now, isn't yeah, it? And yeah. It, and, you know, and, and he lives local. Mm. He knew one of the, couple of the boys. So he was one of them. I, I brought him home as a, as a, as a Bromley boy. And I've given him the, the platform to go and show what he can do. You know, he's been phenomenal since mm. he's walked in. You know, even when he's playing, but you know, not the best, he pops up and gives you that goal that maybe someone else wouldn't. So, mm. yeah, he's been phenomenal, JJ, and you know, and 
we'll see what he's doing at the end of the year. Yeah, and, and Neil, thanks for joining us again today. He's got always so enthusiastic after all these years. Best of luck. Oh, I we'll love it. You. Thank you so we'll much. We'll see you at some Honestly, point. Thank welcome. you. Yeah, and that was Bromley manager Neil Smith, and I think you're going to take on the mantle of housewife's favourite with that voice, Rob, when you were asking him questions there. Hey, the first thing he said to me, actually, as we as we sort of shook hands and, and, and he said, how are you, etc. And when I spoke to him and he went, oh my God, he said, your throat sounds like mine does after Tuesday night, you know, and it was it was one of those. I I, I, I um, had a, a little bit of vocal problems yesterday, but uh, there was so much excitement in the game and I, I don't really want to hear back the commentary of Luke Powell's goal because... I, I, I just don't know what came out at that point. I was breathless. <laughs> so all the shots says two points adrift of haven't they? They went one 0 up through a Matt Patterson penalty against Harrogate. Harrogate turned it around though in the end. Jack Muldoon scoring just before half time and then George Thompson getting a winner late on to keep their playoff hopes alive. And you mentioned about Aldershot trying to overhaul, haven't Rob? Because obviously, as you say, funny goings on at Gateshead and Emsley. We spoke to Mark Crothers last week. They looked like there was light at the end of the tunnel. They're still not at the minute. They've, they've kind of bricked up the tunnel at the minute. The, uh, the owners there at Gateshead, they're, they're almost refusing to leave. The players have come out and they're basically begging them to leave. Emsley, they finally got the wages paid on Wednesday. And you feel if one of those two do are in real trouble, then the team that finishes fourth bottom may survive. Well, you know, I, I have to reiterate that nobody wants that to happen to any team at this or any mm. other level. I, I'm just, you know, if if you've been supporting Aldershot Town this year, it's, it's like a, been a long, slow, painful death. And if anybody can resuscitate you, you'd take it, wouldn't you? you know? and, uh, a death by uh, a thousand sorry, cuts, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And, and, and so you must understand where I'm coming from in that respect. I'm just saying you always want to play for pride. You always want to play for points. If, you, if, if you're bottom, you want to finish second bottom. And all the shot have been third bottom forever now. Uh, and if they can't finish fifth bottom, they want to finish fourth bottom. It makes sense, you know. And the one thing I will say for Gary Waddock and for that Aldershot Town team, for the fifth, sixth, seventh game on the trot, they are really together. They're playing pretty well. Um, they should have won the game yesterday again and didn't. Um, and uh, that's nice to see in, in, in that respect because most teams in the situation they've been in this season would have put a shut up shop now and given up and dropped their heads and uh, accepted their fate, but they haven't. In terms of Solihull Moors, I mean, quickly, Robert, the level on points for Leighton Orient, can the overhaul Leighton Orient? Uh, I mean, can we still count them as title? I think, realistically, Solihull Moors and Salford have the best chance of catching Orient. Uh, Wrexham, you can't write them off, uh, but I think they might, they might struggle. Um, and uh, Orient are still very, very slight favourites. I'll tell you what, Rob, as well, I know they're only mid-table, but bad. we've got to give a shout-out to them. Seventh consecutive clean sheet yesterday. Or seventh clean sheet in a row when they won 1-0 at Maidenhead United. And it's a great platform for them to build on. And, and I was trying to look before and I couldn't find anything to see if it actually is, what, what the actual record in the National League is for consecutive clean sheets. It won't be too many more games than that, I know. Uh, I, I, I can remember a few sides going five, six games. Seven sticks out for me. Uh, maybe one of our listeners who's across all these kind of stats can, can let us know or let us know where to look to find the answer. But it's phenomenal. For me, there's no coincidence at all that that's had a central defensive pairing throughout that run of... Uh, Dan Sweeney, who's been outstanding this season, uh, playing more in defence than in midfield and uh, coinciding, of course, with the return to form and fitness of the skipper, Callum Reynolds. 
uh, a word to obviously for Shay Alexander. And a player who impressed me, Rob, when, when I saw them was a. Uh... Efron Mason Clark, who made it into a non-league paper team in a day, but he uh, he was a real live wire when he played all the shot. Yeah, he certainly was. He's he, and he works well with uh, Goulters, doesn't he? In the in the right-hand channels for Barnet. Yeah, credit to Darren Curry. I think a lot of people were starting to doubt him. They wondered if he just got a little bit of early momentum, the new manager bounce. But uh, after a difficult run of fixtures where they slipped very close to uh, the relegation places, they're really pulling round now, and Barnet should uh, finish a healthy. Uh, mid-table, upper mid-table. Chris, you're our stats man. Do you know anything about the clean sheets? Or... <laughs> no, I don't, but I've only got more questions. Oh, OK. <laughs> I, was lo- I was looking at Eastleigh, who were in a playoff position with a negative goal difference, and I wonder whether anyone has done that before. So there's, there, we're just full of questions and no answers today. <laughs> <laughs> What's the song? I'd say if we, if we played music on this show, we could play the song that says there are more questions than answers, which there are today. Yeah. Please tweet into us at NL Full Time if you do have the answers. I know there'll be people out there with the stats and, and uh, the hands on the record book. So, uh, yeah, let us know, uh, is Barnett's a new record for consecutive clean sheets? And, and has anyone made it into the playoffs on a negative goal difference? There's uh, some homework for your listeners. We'll, we'll get into the first part of the chat with Adam Summerton. Rob caught up with him during the week, and he, he got his thoughts on the season from Adam. OK, I'm very, very pleased to have been joined on the National League full-time podcast by BT Sport commentator Adam Summerton. Uh, hi Adam. Hi Rob, nice to speak to you. Of course your voice gets played out on our podcast quite a bit from that. Hi I'm, I'm Adam Summerton, you're listening to the NL <laughs> Full-Time Podcast so thank you very much for being on our podcast most of the season since I first met you very briefly down at Haven't. How's the season been for you Adam? It's just an incredible league where almost anybody can beat anybody. Really enjoyable as I have all the seasons really that we've covered the National League on BT Sport. I think you're right that it's very unpredictable. I think we see that from the sides that come up from, or sorry, come down from League Two. Who so many of them struggle to adjust, to adapt to the league. And I think that shows the strength of it, the competitive, competitiveness of it. And, and maybe how much it can surprise league clubs as well. But mm-hmm. so we just got great stories. That, that's the thing I always say about covering this league is that it provides stories and you look right through the league this season and for various different reasons there are many of those stories aren't they mm-hmm. um, and sides as well you know uh, Leighton Orient you look at the position talking about side you struggle to adjust to the National League you know you look where they've come from in the space of a year and that's just one of the uh, fascinating stories that we've got but yeah it's, it's been really enjoyable as always you haven't missed many games actually near, near enough all the games on PT that have been on you've commentated on this season apart yeah. from a couple recently is there one that sticks out in your memory for sheer excitement or, or, or quality of performance? I don't, know, I don't know, it's funny this season, I'm not, I'm not so sure there's one that absolutely sticks out we, we have had those in previous seasons I have to say that I'm kind of hoping that we're going to get that in the closing stages of the season, mm. the way that the, the, the games are going to be panning out and on BT we're going to be obviously showing a lot of the as the, the season comes to its finale we'll be getting a lot of the head-to-heads in terms of the promotion race, we'll have the mm. playoffs no doubt we'll have games that will involve the relegation battle as well. So mm. it's I, I'm expecting some real 
key games, some really exciting matches in the closing stages of the campaign because it's just so much at stake and there's so much pressure as well when, as we all know, I mean, it's a bit of contention, but the fact there's just one automatic promotion place in the National League mm-hmm. adds so much pressure to those final weeks, particularly when you've got a title race where you've got five points separating um, the top four clubs. So that suggests to me that you know the, the, those standout fixtures, the games, the mem- really memorable ones that um, I think we'll probably get in the closing stages of the campaign but uh, yeah, if we get anything like we did in terms of the playoffs like that Tranmere Tranmere Bourne Wood game yeah. at the end of last season that will certainly be one to remember yeah that was quite incredible I was lucky enough to be there and witness that as well as far as the title goes I guess if we were doing this interview before Tuesday night we'd have probably comfortably gone for Orient wouldn't we has Bromley's win over Orient opened the door up for the other chasing pack again at this stage Adam well to be honest I mean a couple of people had said to me in the days before that result that they thought that Orient had, had got it sewn up and it was all done and, and I disagreed even though I do think Orient will go on and win it they were my tip at the start of the season and I still think they'll go on and win it but I don't think it's done by any means um, and you know, we're going to see the pressure that this puts on clubs in the closing stages of the season and, and how can they handle it well you know will that just prove to be a little stumble by Orient or could it be you know, the start of something bigger. There's some really big weeks ahead and Salford have got the players, have got the manager and with the know-how to be able to capitalise on that. We all know um, how well Solihull Moors have done this season. Uh, I still don't think you can quite completely rule out Wrexham, although they've obviously got a lot of work to do. Five points behind Orient have played a game more than them. But mm-hmm. it's Orient's to lose still. I, I still think there's legs left in this type of race. I really do. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And for me, all those teams can keep it tight at the back, but I think it's who plays freely, who who scores freely over these final weeks that uh, that will sort the wheat out from the chaff, as it were. Is there a player or a couple of players that you've seen throughout the season that you think might go on to bigger and better things, Adam? Anyone who springs to mind? Yeah, I think I've seen many, and that's the great thing about watching this league is that you are able to still spot those rough diamonds, um, which is a great thing to be able to do because I think it's you know, it's amazing how many times, I don't feel the same because you watch this league a lot, but you, mm. you get a lot of texts of people involved in football and mm. people at league clubs who've you noticed, who've you seen, mm. um, and you know, I'm forever sort of passing on you know, potential. I've never had any commission. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of um, Leighton Orient, who've obviously had a good season and a top of the table, a player who's really impressed me when I've seen him is, is Ekpiteta. Mm. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed watching him, particularly this season. We all know about players like, like Bomb uh, and obviously Karoma, who've done good things for them this season. But I think Solihull Moors as well. You know, Osborne's had a very good season for them, a player who's been up in the league with Grimsby and was very unlucky in terms of injuries and then ended up coming uh, back into the National League and effectively you know, rebuilding his career, looking to no doubt get back into the Football League. Um, but, but even if you look at a club in, in sort of sixth position, I think they're out at the minute, if, if memory serves me right. I think, I think Harrogate Town have, have had a really good season and I could look at several members of their squad who've, who've had very good seasons. Um, 
maybe they've not been quite as good defensively as they would have hoped. Mm. Um, but they've had some really con- consistent performers. You know, the likes of, of Emmett and Falkingham have done very well mm. for them. And um, Muldoon, you're always going to get you know, good performances from him too. So yeah, but there's, there's, there's so many players. I mean, we, I could sit here literally for a, probably for an hour and just reel off and go through all the teams and say, you know, pick two or three players from all of them who I think mm. would have a chance at going up into the football league. But you only truly know when they make that jump, don't you? Now, we mentioned how topsy-turvy the league is and teams like Borumwood and Aldershot Town who were in the playoffs last season battling away at the wrong end. In terms of the most impressive turnaround or performance of a manager, maybe, you know, given given their clout, given where the, the club were last year, is there anybody that probably deserves that more than Tim Flowers? Well, it'd be hard to argue against it, wouldn't it, when you consider the perilous position that they were in back then and, and they're currently um, third 75 points. I mean, if you look at the job that, that Justin Edinburgh has done at Leighton Orient, um, but you'd have to say that, you know, that there's, there's obviously a, a much bigger supporter base, there's much more in the way of resources. They, you could argue, had a, a better squad to begin with. I think it's a bit of a myth, you know, that people say that Solihull Moors have got no money. I, I don't think that that's true. I think there has been some investment there. Mm. You only have to go and look at the club and look at, mm. you know, just outside the stadium where they're making improvements. So I don't buy into any of this talk that, you know, they've got no money and it's a, mm. it's a complete miracle. Um, I, and, and if you actually look at their squad, they've got many players in it who won promotion from the National League. Yeah. So he's put together a, a, a squad very skillfully. I think what Tim Flowers has done is that he's, he's not made the mistake that maybe some other men who played at the highest level in his position might have made, which is to try and overcomplicate things, to try and play a standard of football that maybe doesn't suit the players that he's got. He's, he's, he plays in a way that maximises the ability of the players that he has. It isn't um, always pretty to watch, in my opinion, but it's very effective. A little bit, you could compare it to what Danny Cowley did with Lincoln. You know, I mm. never thought they were one of the best teams to watch, but my goodness me, they were effective mm. and they played to their strengths. They got promoted and they might even go on and get promoted again this season. So mm. I, I think there's, I, I tend to agree with the sentiment that you put across mm. there, but that it'd be very hard to argue that, that um, against the job that, that Tim Flowers has done. But, you know, there's, there's some, a lot of managers who are in very difficult circumstances, you know, with very limited budgets in this league, produce great results with, with, with very little. I think it's a real great test of, of a manager's true ability mm. the National League, actually. Well, that was Adam Summerton. We'll be hearing later on about his commentating and what has to go what he has to go through and the pronunciation of names and things like that so stay tuned for that so now we're going to look at the National League North Hi I'm Jeff Brazier and this is the NL Full Time Podcast and in the National League North well we'll get to the top in a minute but I think we've got to um, give recognition to Altrincham it was a drink yesterday it'd be 7 up wouldn't it Chris because they won 7-0 Alfreton I know we have a few Alfreton fans listening to the podcast uh, I'd cover your ears now if you're an Alfreton fan but Chris I mean that must be resultless the day, mustn't it? Along with Ashton, who we'll come to in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what what a result for Altrincham there, and it's not it's not the only time that they've been hit for seven this season. After after Spennymore did it earlier on uh, at their place as well. So uh, five different goal scorers they shared that around, and um, it was a strange one really because Alfreton had been on a six match unbeaten run, which included a win against uh, against top of the league Chorley as well. So. A very, very strange one. And in fact, I'm actually at Alfreton on Tuesday night where they play Hereford. So I will see how they bounce back from that. Yeah, good job you weren't there yesterday. I don't think you'd have got much from Billy Heath somehow, do you? (laughs) 
No, I don't think so, Luke. Another <laughs> manager who's very grumpy was uh, Jason Ainsley. He, his Spennymore side were, were 3-0 down within 20 minutes. Ashley United, then had Jamie Chandler sent off later on, and he described it as one of the worst performances he's ever seen as a manager. Well, you spoke to him a few weeks ago, Chris. He was very chipper, and he, it's fair to say he's not been chipper the last couple of weeks, has he? No, unfortunately, since I spoke to him, it's all gone wrong, hasn't it? <laughs> so I hope, <laughs> hope that wasn't me. But uh, but no, it, it, they're out, they're on a terrible run of form at the moment, and you know Aston scored three goals in about five minutes, didn't they? And uh, to kill them off, really. And I've seen Aston a lot this season, and when they are in the mood, they are very, 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 very difficult to break down. Just want to highlight Ashton here as well because um, Callum Mantat did the business yesterday. He got a man of the match. He got a goal for himself. And um, he's been really good since when I've seen him. And he gives them that bit of something different that I think an organised team, a tough-to-break-down team does need something different. And I think Callum Mantat can do that. Obviously, I saw him on loan at County last season and uh, he, he was fantastic. And one thing I'm going to credit uh, Ashton Snapper on, on Twitter. The last time he scored three times was in February and they'd only scored two goals until yesterday. So that shows how much they've been struggling and, uh, and what a great result it was for him yesterday. Yeah, and next week, next Saturday, it is Geisley versus Ashton United. If Ashton can get a result in that, they move to within one point of Geisley and all of a sudden believe they might stay up. Yeah, it's, it all of a sudden um, would make things look a bit more possible for Ashton United. And um, normally there is a team that, that does make a run, isn't there? And it doesn't look like it's going to be FC United. It looks, so, But if Ashton could win that game against Geisley, yeah, it's back on. Well, talking of um, Geisley, ex-Geisley players, Rowan Lybird, he didn't exactly rip up any trees. He's at Geisley, Chris. He he's gone to Hereford in the last couple of weeks, and he he held up Stockport County's title charge yesterday. It looked like it was going to be another comfortable afternoon for Stockport County, but uh, in the last twenty minutes, he he bagged two goals to make it two each. Yeah, it's a but that's a bit of a psychological blow that for County. I mean, if you look at the table. Uh, we'll come to uh, Chorley's result in a moment, but if you look at the table, nothing has changed since yesterday. You know, County have still got that game in hand. There's still a couple of points behind, but psychologically, I think that's a, it's it's quite a blow. And you only know um, the next time they play, which is on on Tuesday night against Chester, how they're going to bounce back from that. Um, but to be two 0 up and to you know to to concede so close to the end of the game, there was there was talk that it might be an Ash Palmer own goal that Lybird uh, second one as well. So it's it's. It's a psychological blow, uh, and we'll see how they bounce back from it. Yeah, it was it was a surprising signing, Ron Lieberg, going from Geisley to Hereford. But I know you mentioned it in the week. It was a bit of a banana skin for for County, wasn't it? You, you described it as inform Hereford. Yeah, and 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 certainly the way that they um, they, they got a, they got a great win last week as well, didn't they? And it looks like um, maybe things are beginning to to turn around from. And incidentally, again, as I'm off to Alfreton on Tuesday, it is Hereford they'll be playing. So I. We'll see how they how they are going on, on Tuesday and, and, and assess it for myself. But yeah, it, it did look like a banana skin, but it didn't after an hour of the game, and that's why it's so disappointing. I think. Yeah, and Rich, bit of a missed opportunity for Charlie. They were one 0 up against your team, Telford, and and Telford got um, a late penalty through Brendan Daniels to to peg it back. Charlie could have gone four points clear as it is. It stays at two points, and uh, you were there yesterday. Just give us your take on that. 
Yeah, it was. And that's exactly the words that Chorley manager Jamie Vermiglio used after the game. Um, a missed opportunity. Um, he spoke about being frustrated, wasn't happy with the referee's performance, but then Gavin Cowan wasn't happy with the referee's performance from a Telford perspective either. If we if we talk about wanting, he spoke about wanting consistency from the referees. Well, he, he was consistent yesterday and it was consistently poor for both sides. Chorley led early on, really, really good strike from Andy T, gave them the lead, but you know, from from a Telford perspective, I, I I never felt that they were they were they were out of the game. Um, and then, I mean, the equaliser came three minutes from time. A penalty that was contentious. Surely felt it wasn't inside the penalty area. Telford were down to ten men at that point, having had Ellis Deeney dismissed, and that was another um, puzzling decision. Uh, the referee again took a long term over that one, and and nobody could quite understand why Deeney was dismissed. Ultimately, I suppose with with Stockport. Um, only picking up a point yesterday as well, then then nothing's changed. But but yeah, when it's so tight, it will be a massive disappointment for Jamie Vermiglio that they didn't um, get maximum reward for that game yesterday. Chris mentioned there about Stockport and the psychological blow of conceding late. Possibly you could look at that and go, maybe the same thing has happened to Chorley yesterday. That I know Jamie Vermiglio said, you know, we've had five clean sheets in our last six games at 1-0 up with five minutes to go. You'd hope to see that out. And they didn't. And and we'll just have to see how they respond when they play next. And and, and it's a tough one for them next because they've got they've got Alteringham and Alteringham are, are absolutely um, flying at the moment. And, and we've spoken about the run-ins. Chorley's run-in is is the tougher of the two between them and Stockport. So, um, yeah, there's still going to be more twists and turns, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, Charlie, have got Altrincham and Stockport in their next two games. And and Dickie, he caught up with Elliot Newby after the game. I'm with Elliot Newby of Chorley after their 1-1 draw with Telford this afternoon. Elliot, quite a game this afternoon. How would you describe that? Yeah, it was a, it was a roller coaster to be honest. I just said uh, there's it, it was, it was a lot of up and downs. I feel like it could go, could go, go anywhere. Like We're at stage of the season now where games sort of take so many twists and turns, but... In the end, it's not it's not a bad point. Obviously, keeping an eye on other results, it's not a bad point in the end. So, but it was a good game, to be fair. Obviously, with um, Stockport County um, held to a two-two draw by a late equaliser by Hereford, that that's sort of like kept things as it were before yeah. kickoff. I guess you'll be will you be watching the the looking out for the Stockport score on Tuesday? Yeah, def- definitely look out for it. It's, a, it's quite a hard game. We went there last week to Chester. It was they were a difficult side to break down, especially at home. We've got a very good record, so hopefully they can do us a favour. But we always knew it'd probably come down to the game against Stockport to be fair so see what happens yeah and that's here two weeks today isn't it so sort of like you know yeah, I see all eyes on that yeah. one and I know the fans are excited mm. for that one aren't they yeah it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit of a decider I'd imagine obviously it is important what happens next week because leading into it somebody's going to be at a get away with the draw and manage to stay on top and one team's going to have to come out and try and win so it's, it's one of them I think we'd imagine we'd be looking to just try and win the game anyway so how difficult has it been being almost top of the league virtually the whole season and, and having to keep churning the wins out to, to stay ahead of Stockport is it, the pressure there isn't there there must yeah. be yeah it's, it, it has been difficult teams obviously set up a bit differently to you when you're top of the league so it's, it's made it a more of a challenge in that way we've got to adapt our play a lot more but at the end of the day it's, it's a very good team and we're in we're the position we are for a reason so. and you've got another big game coming with Altrincham next Saturday as well and uh, I mean they've had a, a tremendous result today with a 7-0 with at Alfreton I'm not sure that you look, knew about that by the look on your face no but they're all difficult aren't they yeah yeah, of course Yeah, every team especially teams that are competing for the playoffs like we need today will be difficult we knew Altrincham will be difficult Spenny is going to be difficult Bradford's going to be difficult they're all teams that are they've got something to fight for so we always knew they were going to be difficult but every every team even teams at the bottom they're going to be hard to play against as it proves with, with Stockport at Hereford today they've got something to play for so you kind of want to be playing the teams that are sort of just um, 
in sort of the middle of the table, sort of no man's on the cat go up or down, but we've got hard games, so we're going to have to win them anyway. And is your, your brother Alex, is he going to be available for those remaining games? He's, yeah. I saw him warming up today. So. Yeah, I think he'll, he'll be available. He did something a bit stupid against Boston. Hopefully he's learnt from it and he doesn't do it again. Like, and Obviously it gives, a, gives us a better option, um, a different type of option going into the last few games, which is good. And that was Elliot Newby, Charlie Player, Carlos former Telford player as well. And um, him and Alex could prove to be the terrible twosome in the running, couldn't they? Yeah, they could. I mean, it, it's my feeling that, that adding, well, they, they signed Elliot Newby from Telford in the summer. I think they'd added Alex before the end of last season. And and the one thing about Chorley was that they were always really, really difficult to break down, um, but maybe didn't have enough threat going forward. And I think that's that's where the difference has been made this season. They've kept a largely settled team, but added that little bit more cutting edge with those two. I think they've combined for probably close on 20 goals between them this season. I know Alex has been suspended for the last three games because of being sent off at Boston but he, he didn't make the 16 yesterday but he, he certainly looks like he'll be back in the lineup soon and surely really need those two clicking to be perfectly honest because um, it, it's just going to be tight and and particularly at the game we've spoken about two weeks two weeks away on Easter Saturday when Stockport go to Chorley they're already selling the tickets for that at Chorley they're flying out of the door and and you know, that could well be a title decider. It won't be quite, but I think it will be, won't it, Chris? Yeah, I think it, it, it's going to be, well, presuming that no one drops any any more points at, in places we don't expect. But yeah, I think that's going to be, it's going to be a huge game. I know when we, uh, when I was down with uh, Jim Gannon for his post-match interview last weekend, he was talking about that game um, and he was saying it would be nice to, to be able to go to Chorley and not have to win the game. Obviously, he said, you know, we do try and win every game, but it'd be nice to be in a position where a draw would be okay and um, you know presuming or if if County do win their game in hand they would be topped by a point and then it would give them potentially that luxury but there's you know there's so many twists and turns you saw yesterday the both teams um, slipped up that um, that you never know what can happen and, and do, before we move on from the title race I did just want to highlight Brackley now they're they're sneaking up as well and whilst I think they've probably got a little bit too much to do I remember I think in my um, pre-season predictions I think I tipped Brackley for the title and I think someone on Twitter I don't know who it was but someone on on Twitter I was called a clown because Brackley are going to be absolutely nowhere near it and uh, they're just showing now that their, their quality is shining through at the end of the season and they're only six points behind County Eight behind Chorley with a game in hand on them, so they're they're just waiting in the wings, if you like, just in case anything uh, anything goes off between the top two and they do start uh, seriously stumbling. Feel free to uh, squirt that person with that uh, flower that's on your <laughs> chest uh, with, with water, quick, Chris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it seems odd that a few weeks ago we were talking about um, Spennymore as the, the, the stalking horses, as you were, who was sort of like ready to take advantage if Chorley or Stockport slipped. Um, and now it's Brackley with Spennymore having having fallen away so dramatically. I think the thing that would concern me about Spennymore as well, um, if it's the playoffs for them, is is momentum. Um, having momentum going into the playoffs is 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 a big thing, and and. Spennymore's form at the moment wouldn't wouldn't scare anybody. Whereas alternately, you know, when you look at altering and winning by seven goals away from home, I don't think anybody would fancy playing them at all. 
Yeah, it's going to be an interesting twist and turn to the end of the season. Just one other team I want to focus on is, is Curzon Ashton. Chris, you saw them midweek against Blythe. Ultimately, they got beaten at home. But after the game, you caught up with their manager, Mark Bradshaw. Uh, Mark Bradshaw, um, disappointing evening tonight, but you you looked like you were going to get back into it in that second half. Well, we, we're just on a run of form at the moment where we've lost our way a little bit as a group. So, you know, it's a test of a manager to try it try and uh, get the lads self-belief back we've gone uh, three games where we haven't looked at ourselves you know long periods of the game we've we've uh, we've struggled a little bit and that's that's what you get with with young and experienced players you know we've got a, um, a group of you know with a really low average age and we've we've got to keep encouraging them and keep working on the training ground so they get to know this level how tough it is and how how difficult each and every team are because um, you know, life came today. They should have been the ones who started slowly, really, because of the travel and they've been to Telford on Saturday. Um, but that wasn't the case. They, you know, they dominated us really for for quite a long period of the game uh, in the first half, and they they got their tails too far in front. You know, we was always um, going to struggle to get that back with how strong they were tonight. Um, we did have a goal second half. But, but we don't want to be chasing games. You know, we've we've got to start like that in the first half if we're going to genuinely compete with the, with the teams in this level and hope to, um, you know, as, establish ourselves as, as a team that's that's uh, you know genuinely looking up. Disappointing, but these players will be learning with every game, and hopefully, you know, we'll keep plugging away this season, and then we'll come we come back and very much next season's in mind now with with the players and, and their, their education of football really. Yeah I was going to say that because you, you, you're pretty much safe now aren't you in, in mid-table. Next season you're going to you know, look to push on for those playoffs, would that be the aim? Well, Everybody would say that, yeah obviously that, that is a goal but um, realistically you know we, we want to develop players and make them in, into um, you know, players that know this level and understand it, and like I say, the difficulty of it. There's, there's no easy games. The quality of every side is is there to be seen, uh, and if you don't match that quality, you're going to struggle. So, we our aim will always be to to compete game by game, see where it gets us. We have a master number of points that will keep us in this league, but you know, that it, we don't want the season to peter out. We want we wanted to to get as many points as we possibly can, like every team should. We've had a couple of key players who, who haven't been able to play and it, it has affected us. We've given other lads the opportunity and it's difficult to come in because the number of games we've played, they're not really match fit. They, they're giving their best. Um, they lack a little bit of experience at this level, but try to give their all. And like I say, they're learning rather than being established players. They're playing against established players of this league week in, week out. A lot in this league have played higher level, you know. So it's a tough ask for young lads, but um, you know we've we've got to keep plugging away. We've got to be be uh, resolute for 90 minutes rather than 45, uh, as we have done in the run that we had, and then we'll um, hopefully get a few more points before the end of the season. That was that was Curzon Ashton manager Mark Bradshaw and even though they drew a Leamington on Saturday, Chris, it'll be a highly satisfactory end of the season for him considering 
I know we spoke about it when John Fanigan left. We, we, we thought it could be alarm bells for Curzon. Yeah, we did. Um, you've got to credit Mark Bradshaw with um, with the job that he's done there at Curzon. They haven't been on a good run of form of late, and to be honest, they weren't. They weren't great when I saw them um, on Monday. They're up there. They're in mid-table again. I mean, uh, John Flanagan, I think I spoke to him earlier in the season and he said, I think they were 11th and then they were 10th and then they've been 12th. And, you know, it's a great performance for Kers and Ashton. Now, um, Mark Bradshaw has nothing to do with the, the stuff that went on earlier in the season with John Flanagan. So he's just got his head down. He's done the job. He did have that early um, new manager bounce. You've got to say it's been with with everything that's gone on behind the scenes and across the season for Curzon Ashton, it has been quite quite a difficult season, I think, off the pitch. They've, um, they've performed well again. Yeah, I think stability's been a big thing for Curzon Ashton over the years with, with John Flanagan there and, and that perhaps was people's concern from the outside looking in that, that was that maybe that they were that's what they were losing with John Flanagan going but um, yeah after uh, you know just taking a, a little time to settle they, they you know Kurs Nashton have performed exceedingly well again they they defy people's expectations and they play some good football as well that's that's a, that's the great thing about them they're, they're not staying in the National League North just by being spoilers what we're going to do is we're going to hear the second part of the Adam Summerton interview and he talks about the commentary side of it and, and how to find out how to pronounce names and things like that and a couple of players to look out for also just thinking about your commentary role Adam just from your own point of view we all have always have a bit of fun in games don't we with some of the names I've noticed an awful lot of double barreled names they seem to be the on trend this season and we've always have those those names that are one way or the other like your Oyalikis or Oyalikis or your Berkeley Adjapong Berkeley Adjapongs uh, and your Naughty Naughties of course but um <laughs> I just, I just wonder uh, if you've had any particular trouble during a game with any of the names, and even though you know how it should, it just comes out wrong or anything. Well, I always do my best to try and find out how to say all the names, and I'm, I also cover um, a lot of European football as well. So a big part of the, the job is, is, in terms of covering the European football, is finding out how to say um, foreign names. So there's mm. less of that in the national league, but you still have some of it that you have to do. And mm. that's, one of the great things about covering this league is that you can actually go up to the players and ask them, which, which yeah. you can't always do when you're covering the Premier League or mm. the Champions League or what have you. So mm. I always do try and ask. Um, but sometimes the response you'll get from a player is, oh, I don't care, just say it however you want. And you're like, but how do you say it? I want to say it right. They're like, oh, I don't mind. And that's one of the most frustrating things is you'll probably know yourself because you just want to get it right. And they're just kind of, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really mind. So I think the, the, the Salford player, I, I still, I, I've still heard several different pronunciations of his, of his name. I was under the impression it was Disarube, but, but mm. I've, I've, I've heard many different uh, variations on that. We're actually covering that next Saturday, so I'm sure I'll go and see him before the game. Um, but you even get, you know, James Allaby or Alarby. Yes. You, you sometimes get things where you ask the manager if you can't get hold of the player, and the manager will tell you one thing, and then press officer will tell you another, and it can get, it can, it is a bit of a minefield. And um, I mean, even one of the recent games we had, Chesterfield, we were sat in the director's uh, area before the game, having some food before the match, mm. and I just said to a couple of the directors who walked past me, can I just check how you say, is it Rowley or Rowley? One of them was adamant it was Rowley, and the other was adamant it was Rowley. So, <laughs> you, you know, you're going to upset somebody and there'll be somebody screaming at the telly that you're getting it wrong, but that's, I've, I've become used to that now. It just goes with the territory, I'm afraid. You need a bit of a thick skin. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I got that, that particular player you were talking about, Disaro, 
I think uh, I think I think there's a fuller version of it, but that's the the, the happy medium they've they, that they've uh, set upon. And I think sometimes you find you know you find ways, don't you? People aren't used to ask me about Manny oil leaky, and I said just think of an oil leak, oil leaky, um, and 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 obviously with that one you could think of Di Serrano, I suppose, couldn't you? But you mustn't say the full word. The funniest one I've heard all season, and I think it was you commentating, is just um, it doesn't necessarily look as if it's pronounced that way, but it's the Braintree player, and you're constantly saying, I'm a loser. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to admit, I thought I was having my leg pulled when I first got told uh, how to say that by, uh, by someone at the club, but yeah, that was absolutely right. And uh, yeah, I, I saw him actually the day of the highlights programme uh, doing very well indeed. So uh, yeah, but I, I have to admit that that was one that took me by surprise. I, before I found out how to say it, I you sit there as you'll know yourself from the job, you, mm. you sit there and you think, how would I say that? And you sort of read it out loud and... And and I'm a loser was not how I thought it would be said, uh, but there you go. Sometimes you get surprised. Yeah, exactly. Well, Adam, it's been great talking to you. I hope to bump into you somewhere along the the playoff road as the season uh, comes towards the business end. Great, great. Also to get you on because we've had the other Adam on two or three times, and uh, (laughs) and and we've been trying to get you for a little while for games when we record (laughs) the podcast. Yes. I, I want to mention a couple more players who came to mind that I, I really have raved about on air. Go for it. Yeah. You asked me for players to, to spot. Yeah. And there's a few at Barnet who've caught my eye this season that, that I've neglected to, to mention. Yes. Taylor uh, is certainly one who I, I definitely think could go on um, and play at a higher level. I think he's been fantastic and was great in that cup game as well against Brentford. And, and another one who's really impressed me this season uh, when he's been playing for Barnet has been Dan Sweeney. I, I've really liked him. I think he, he, he could uh, he could go on to, to, to quite big things actually. Yeah, so there's, there's another couple of names. Yeah, he's a tremendous foil. He, he as perhaps Will Evans was in the past, alongside Callum Reynolds, who reads the game and leads the game so well. And uh, yeah, it's worth finishing on that note. Great stuff, Adam. Thanks for joining us, and we'll speak to you again soon. Look forward to it. And that was Adam Summerton. And uh, great of him to uh, join us. And I'm sure we'll catch up with him maybe at one of the playoff games as we get towards the end of the season. We're now going to look at the National League South. There's only one place to start, and that is the big game between Woking and Torquay United down at the Laithwaite Stadium. And it's fair to say that it lived up to expectation. And one of Rob's colleagues at BBC Surrey, Gav Dennison, he was down there yesterday and he sent us his thoughts on the game. At full time, it was the Torquay fans who were celebrating loudest at Woking's Laithwaite Community Stadium. Ben Winter's 90th minute equaliser securing a point that maintains their seven point lead at the top of the table with four games to go. They surely now have one foot back in the National League with Woking manager Alan Dowson admitting after the game that the title had gone and his team would now be focusing on the playoffs. It was a remarkable advert for National League South football. Over 4,500 fans in attendance. They saw an incredible game of football in an amazing atmosphere. Woking led 2-1 at half-time. Both goals coming from Greg Lua, who ended his seven-game stretch without a goal. Uh, both excellent finishes across Torquay goalkeeper Sean McDonald into the far corner. The first with his left foot, the second with his right. In between those two goals, Jamie Reid got his 31st goal of the campaign 
for Talk United, slotting in nicely past Craig Ross after a long ball over the top of the Woking defence. That goal came a couple of minutes after he'd hit the post from a right-wing cross. Saidu Jana forced a good save from Craig Ross just after the half-an-hour mark, uh, which would have made it 2-2. Torquay also had a couple of injuries in that first half to contend with. One half of their excellent midfield quartet going off injured just before half-time as Asa Hall and Rory Keating both had to leave the field. Woking started the second half with equal intent and ferocity. Armani Little should have made it 3-1 four minutes into the second half, but somehow failed to hit the back of the net uh, from close range. However, Woking finally did extend their lead to a two-goal advantage just after the hour mark when a tremendous counter-attack was started and finished by Kieran Cadogan, who scored on his home debut for the Cards. However, Woking started to take their foot off the pedal. They started to sit a little bit deeper and Torquay, with their full-time status helping their fitness, started to come more into the game. One of Woking's Achilles heels all season has been their inability to defend set pieces and Torquay's two goals in the final 10 minutes came from such a route. The first came in the 80th minute. Uh, a long corner was hit to the back post, nodded back into the middle and Saidu Jana was there unmarked to knock in his 19th goal of the season. Six minutes after that, Woking's former Torquay United centre-back Ben Gehring was sent off for his second yellow card, uh, scything down Reed on the far touchline in front uh, of his former fans. Four minutes later, it was 3-3, this time from a long throw on the right-hand side that bounced not once, not twice, but three times in the Woking penalty area before Winter dispatched it with some aplomb. Torquay United now have one hand on the National League South title. It was a tremendous comeback and really showed why they are where they are at the top of the table. For Woking, it was a great performance. They were on top for 80 minutes of the game and will feel like they should have had all three points. Continue playing like that for the rest of the season and they will also return to the National League after just a one-year absence. So a dramatic end to that game down there at Woking. And as Gav said, it really puts Torquay in the hot seat now. Now, Tom can't be live with us this week, but he has sent us his thoughts on that game and also the rest of the National League South roundup. So as you've just heard from Gav's brilliant summary, a draw at the Kingfield Stadium does a lot more favours for the girls than it does the cards in this title race. With a seven-point gap heading into the fixture, it was always Woking that needed to take the win more than Torquay. And having secured a draw, Torquay now need to pick up only five more points from their remaining four fixtures. Home ties against struggling Eastbourne Borough and Hungerford Town will surely see them over the line. But if it doesn't, I still don't see them dropping many points on their away trips to Chippenham and St Albans. As for Woking, all they can do is pick up the wins and hope that Torquay will implode, which they absolutely won't. I'm going to save the plaudits for when the title's wrapped up, but I'll just say what a turnaround at Playmore under Gary Johnson since he's taken over. When he came in and followed on from Gary Hours after his sacking, the mood at Playmore was miserable. Moving down the division, the two most important results today came at Billericay Town and Chippenham Town, where a pair of crucial away wins mean that Hampton and Richmond and Dulwich Hamlet will almost certainly live to fight again in this division. Both now on 42 points, they're six clear of relegation, and with the form of the teams below them, it's almost impossible to see them being hauled in. A double from Depo Akinyemi, his 11th and 12th of the season, cancelled out Nick McCootie's strike for Chippenham, whilst out in Essex, Leighton Orient Loney rules Sutirio and Rian Bray sent the Beavers two ahead inside just 12 minutes. 
Moses Emmanuel pulled one back for Billericay, but when keeper Alan Julian was sent off, the game was as good as gone for them, before Zach Joseph applied the gloss for Gary McCann's side. That's now just one point in six for Billericay Town, and they've dropped out of the playoff places. They'll need to turn that around quickly if they want to capitalise and finish well on their early season promise. So with safety all but secured, Hampton and Richmond will reflect on what could have been after a fine start to the season under McCann, whilst the Hamlet will surely be delighted with their debut campaign at this level. Averaging over 1,600 home fans despite playing at Tooting and Mitchin for half a season, yet still, they're going to finish the lowest of the promoted sides after Billericay and Slough Town. Speaking of the Rebels, they picked up another three points today. They ground out a 2-1 victory away at relegation-threatened Hungerford Town, for whom Danilo Orsi Dodomo bagged his 12th of the season. Slough are now third in the form tables over the last six, and 11th in the actual table. A six-point gap to the playoffs is probably too large for them to haul in at this stage, but they'll be trying nonetheless. And when the Manager of the Year conversation is had at the end of the season, John Underwood and Neil Baker have got to be in there for what they've done at Slough this year. Another person who's surely been in that conversation is Steve King at Welling United. After what he did at Whitehawk last year, his performance at Welling this season has been nothing short of spectacular, especially after they had to shed a lot of their senior players uh, around the turn of the year. Thierry Aldale grabbed his seventh of the season from centre-back for Welling as they beat Bath City 2-1, which gives them a four-point cushion over Chelmsford in the race to finish as the best of the rest behind Torquay and Woking. Sticking with the playoffs, Wildston kept themselves in contention with a 3-0 victory over East Thurrock, a double from Danny Green doing the damage there, as did St Albans City, where a brace from David Moyo set them on their way to a 3-1 dismissal of 10-man Chelmsford. Another goal for Kabongo Shimanga secured a 2-1 victory for Oxford City against nearish neighbours Hemel Hempstead, one or both of whom could actually find themselves playing in the National League North next season. It's been a brilliant campaign for Shimanga, who's now joint on 22 with Reese Murphy in the race to finish behind Jamie Reid for the Golden Boot. I know Rob doesn't like it, he didn't perform anywhere near as well at Aldershot, but Shimanga just has season after good season. Uh, and it's been a real joy to see him perform so well this year. And so to the bottom, those defeats for East Hurrock and Hungerford could prove critical on a weekend where both Gloucester City and Western Supermare won. Gloucester beat free-falling Eastbourne Borough 2-1 on the south coast, an 89th minute Jake Jackson goal giving them the points, whilst Western ripped up the form books to smash Dartford 3-1, thanks to George Nurse and Marlon Jackson's double. With these results, Eastbourne and Truro are now in the bottom four for form over the last six matches, whilst Western... Gloucester, East Thurrock and Hungerford range from 19 to 5th. Considering that, and with Eastbourne now only two points clear of relegation and Truro actually in the drop zone, I now fancy two of East Thurrock, Gloucester City and Hungerford to pull clear, something I just wouldn't have considered three months ago. If I had to pick, I'd say Gloucester City and Hungerford probably have the strength to, to pull themselves away from that drop zone, but it really could be anyone. The astute among you will have noticed I haven't actually covered Truro's result, and the reason for that is simple. There wasn't one. Truro hosted Concord Rangers yesterday, and those two clubs have some history, as you may remember from last winter, when Truro and Concord had a bit of an on-off, will-they-won't-they, around their match away down in Cornwall. With Concord leading 1-0, Michael Hervé went down for Truro after a heavy tackle with a suspected broken arm on 75 minutes. He remained on the pitch and an ambulance was called. It arrived at 7pm, with the game long since abandoned. There has been some insinuation from Concord fans, and possibly from some individuals associated with the club, that he could have been put in a car and taken to nearby Trillisk Hospital, as opposed to waiting for an ambulance to respond in a very rural and overstretched NHS area to a non-emergency condition. 
This has been taken even further by some to suggest that Truro possibly manipulated these circumstances to ensure a postponement and a difficult 14-hour round trip for Concord Rangers on a weekday night. Personally, I think it's very difficult and quite dangerous to throw around these sort of suggestions without a full diagnosis of the player. And frankly, it all, con- it all contributes to a pretty tawdry situation when everyone's thoughts should really be the player. To finalise my report from National League South this weekend, on behalf of the NL Full-Time Podcast, all the best to Michael Herve and we wish him a speedy recovery. Well, whoever it is that fills those relegation spots, we know at least one of the sides who will be replacing them. Dorking Wanderers secured the title in the Bostic Isthmian League South yesterday with a 3-0 victory at home over Worthing. Manager Mark White, an owner, has done a sterling job with the club over the last few years and he's now secured the Surrey side's second promotion in three seasons. After finishing 14th in their first year at the Isthmian League Premier level, the club moved to Meadowbank over the summer and with a new stadium and a strong squad, it will be really interesting to see how they fare in their first year at Step 2 next season. Congratulations to Dorking and we fully expect to see Weymouth be the next team to join them in the National League South as they're currently seven points clear in the Southern League Premier Division. And as Tom said, congratulations to Darking Wanderers as well, who'll be playing National League South football next season. Kettering, they haven't quite been promoted yet from Step 3 also. They, they'll probably be looking at going, they'll probably be ending up going into the National League North. However, they lost 2-1 at Alchurch, so celebrations are on hold there at the minute. And in the Evo Stick Premier Division, it's all to play for at the top with, with Farsley still having a narrow lead at the top, but South Shields are right on their tail as well. And finally, before we go as well, I caught up with John Reed, who's part of the Chelmsford City Supporters Association. They did a charity walk a couple of weeks back down to Playmore, where the game against Choro was supposed to take place. But obviously, as we mentioned, Choro have since moved back home to Treyu Road. So they still did the walk anyway. Here's his story and how the walk went, and also his thoughts on Chelmsford's playoff aspirations. I'm with John Reed, and he's from the Chelmsford City, Chelmsford City Supporters Association, and he's just embarked on... Quite a long journey over the past couple of weeks. They didn't quite climb Mount Kilimanjaro, but it must have felt like it. They walked from Chelmsford all the way down to Torquay, um, originally for the game against Troll, but then Troll removed. But um, John's with me now, and John, what's up with you? You mad? Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of people ask us that question, but it's quite weird. For about the last 10 years or so, there's a group of Chelmsford City fans who... I don't know, we just have the same outlook on life. We, we, like, we like a bit of exercise. We, we're obviously recognising middle-age spread sort of factor. We, we like a bit of exercise. Um, we like to socialise um, and rehydrate, perhaps after a long walk. We, we like to... With water, of course. With, with water, yeah. <laughs> Lucas A sport, of course. We like, we like um, the crack of the football and we like to just enjoy ourselves around the football and a lot of that... Um, you know, for me, if I'm walking to somewhere, walking to a game, we, have, we do a lot of other walks, like yeah. to Dulwich, um, Welling and Darford and Sutton and all those places. And, and it's the whole day. We start early, we finish late, and the football's in the middle. And, and, it, and it has been said the football often does ruin the day. But in this instance, last week, the football, um, well, as I'll say later, the football made the day, really. So it's a cracking, cracking week. You've got your itinerary in front of you, and you, 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 you kind of split it into two legs, didn't you? You were saying you, you, you went to the game, you played Western at home, you, you walked to the game, didn't you? And then went home, had a sleep, and then started the actual proper walk on a Sunday. Yeah, because it's such a long way, 240 miles, um, we had to sort of pack everything in. And obviously we didn't want to miss the game on the Saturday, the home game, so the only way we could do that was by 
getting a quick 18 miles, 17, 18 miles in early Saturday morning of the Western game. So we came back for that. Um, but yeah, there was nine of us doing it and uh, we split into two legs. So we, we went back home Saturday night and then started very early Sunday morning at 5am to literally go back to where we were dropped off um, before. And from effectively then on, it was two legs a day of 18 miles each, approximately. Uh, one, one team does the first leg, the other team drives to the midway point and then um, does the second leg in the afternoon. We had a support driver, Alan, who's fantastic, teetotal support driver, which is even better. And, um, yeah, so Alan, so we had stoves, we had windbreaks, we had frying pans, kettles, and honestly, it was hilarious. The first, first Sunday, we were camped up on um, Canning Town flyover, minibus in the middle of the flyover with our camp stoves and, and deck chairs, frying up bacon. People, people were asking if, they want, if we could buy one, but no, the bacon was for the, for the walkers, a little bit of a mid-morning break, and then it was back on with it. But it was, it was uh, an interesting start going through London, let's put it that way. You've hit on a fundraising idea there, haven't you? Just pull up on the flyover and sell bacon butties. Well, you could do. Um, unfortunately, we, we didn't have any brown sauce or red sauce the first couple of days, so that didn't go down too well. But uh, after that, you know, um, you know, the Tower Bridge, and then we go through to uh, the Sunbury area. That, we made Sunbury on the Sunday night and stayed in possibly the worst hotel I've ever stayed in. Because I did all the booking. I had to book the hotels. And obviously, we were on a budget. And the first hotel was, uh, I, I better not mention it, but... It's funny, we should have, the alarm bell should have rang, really, because uh, they actually asked for us to pay extras when we walked in, and the extras were to have a light bulb, was one of them. Um, I think the other one was to have carpet on the floor. But faulty no, Towers. But if only, if only it was Faulty Towers. But no, that weren't great, so we were quite, quite pleased to get out of there. And that was Sunday night, and then obviously, you know, you're moving out to the M25, Weybridge, some lovely areas, but then... As you go out of the M25, it gets a lot more scenic, and honestly, it was stunning. So saying all that, John, how are the legs after all this? I do quite a lot of walking already, as do quite a lot of the group. So it was, you know, the pains I had, I had a bit of pains in the quad area down here, which was literally the repetitive bit of the walk. Um, I got an ulcer through um, the early morning start. Legs were fine. Um, some of the other lads, well, most of the lads were okay. There's a couple of, couple of blisters... Uh, well, a few, a few blisters, to be fair. There was a lot of blood, a lot of compede. You know, the, the minibus smelt of uh, changing room most of the time. There was deep heat everywhere. Uh, there was railjacks up against the walls. It was, it was everything. But, no, we, we all held up pretty well, and we all made it, ultimately. Yeah. Just tell us about the reception you received at Torquay. I mean, did, were Torquay United aware of it? Because, obviously, Truro were playing then, and, as we said, they moved. So it was kind of an unscheduled arrival at playing more in the end, wasn't it? We didn't, we didn't actually meet too many people actually in Torquay. However, on the way to Torquay in some of the places, the, 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 the comments and the praise and the... You know, we, we, were, we were bought free breakfasts. Um, we put the money into the pot for donations. Uh, we, were, we were given money in, in cafes. We were constantly being asked... Because we all had these T-shirts with, with the route on and what we were trying to do. And ultimately, this was to raise money for Chelmsford Mencap and uh, a homeless charity called Cool To Be Kind. And, you know, the main aim was to try and get as much as we, we could in for that. And as things stand at the moment, we, we're absolutely amazed because we thought that our target would be about 5,000, but we, we're looking at 
over nine now, and there's a chance we might get up to 10,000. So we're absolutely made up with all that. It's just amazing. If anyone wants to donate, how can they do that? Well, we've got a Just Giving page. Um, it's uh, Just Giving uh, forward slash Andy hyphen Abbott. Um, it's on, if, you, if you're on Twitter, if you go onto the Chelmsford City Supporters Club uh, Twitter feed, it's, it's all over that. There's photos of the walk. There's pictures of us in various states of, well, well various states. There's the routes, the views, everything's all there. Some stunning views towards the end, but no, any any help would be gratefully received. And you know, we've been absolutely made up with what people have done for us so far, um, and it's it's just it couldn't have gone any better. Did you get anything like any of the players or management coming out with you? Yeah, well, one of the lads offered to shave his his very unkempt hair on the Saturday morning, and Rod Stringer, the Chelsea City manager, actually did the first cut of the hair on the terraces outside Truro, which uh, anyone who's been to Truro knows that it's quite a Nice little uh, patio out the front there. Um, all the players, they're, they're all going to donate. Um, Anthony Church, um, Kieran Kinderjohn and Johnny Giles were at the, the final pub at the end to have some photos and, and shake a few hands. Players couldn't have been any better. And, of course, they finished it off with a nice 3-0 win. Um, I think they were determined to win this year. They really done us proud. So you said about the, the result Chelmsford got at Truro. You're well placed in the play. We kind of said a couple of months ago, you kind of just snuck into the play. You were you were in and around the playoffs, but now you're firmly in them. Probably won't be able to win the league. Yeah, we've had up until the Truro win, we had uh, is it three or four draws on the trot, which I'm not going to say they were a bit of a lottery due to the, the high wins, etc. But we, we perhaps didn't deal with that and, and didn't really uh, didn't really overperform there. So three draws sort of knocked us down to fifth. Um, to the Truro, I mean, everyone's beating each other. Uh, they've all got to play each other as well. So I'm not I'm not thinking we can break break the top two. Although I think Tokyo got far too much in the resources. But you know, Woking have, have had a bit of a wobble. But with, everyone's having a wobble. Birrigi, Bath, they're all having a bit of a wobble. Yeah, I'm confident it, getting in the playoffs. But as it, anyone will know, Chelmsford City's playoff history and records. Um, I've got a built-in mechanism where I don't expect anything after that. You know, I was going to say you're always the bridesmaid. Aren't you? Never happens. Never happens for us. Um, we try, it just never happens. And I think a lot of us, <laughs> we're just pleased to be there. <laughs> We'd love to be. We'd love to just have a crack at the top division. Um, we've never been higher than this. A lot of people um, who are getting on in age just want to have one little go at the national league. Yeah. You know, even if it's only a season or two, just have one go at it yeah. and see where we go. That's the thing with the playoffs. There's so many strong teams in it. Say if um, one of Tarki or Woking will be in it. Uh, Bill Ricky probably going to be in it. So you've got a lot of Essex teams, a lot of local derbies as well. So it's probably, compared to the National League North, for example, the National League South playoffs are going to be really tough, aren't they? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not overly keen on um, the, another Essex derby because that just, just anything could happen. And it, There's about six of them, isn't there? It's a bit fraught, <laughs> fraught with danger. I mean, we beat Bill Ricky twice um, over Christmas quite quite comfortably, but they've had a bit of a resurgence since... Well, they had a resurgence. Yeah. I don't really want to meet them again. I don't really want to play Concord, because they just have a bit of a... A little bit of a... I don't know, they, they, they raise their game against us a little bit. Um, so, looks... I'll take, probably take Bath at home, maybe. You do want to donate. Just remind us again of the page. Yeah, it's uh, just giving forward slash Andy hyphen Abbott. Um, hoping to go up next year, maybe do Gateshead as a bit of a trek next year. All being well. If you get promoted. If we get promoted. 
And that was John Reed. And as he said, go to the link and donate. It's for a great, great cause. Well, that is all for this week. Rob, thanks for joining us this week. Pleasure as always. Have a good week, boys. Chris, thanks for joining us. Yeah, cheers, Luke. And Dickie, thanks again for uh, joining us also. You're very welcome. Don't forget to subscribe to us at iTunes and Spotify. Tweet us as well at NLFullTime or email us NLFullTime at gmail.com. And until then, thank you all for listening and we'll speak to you next week.